This is episode 87 with Eric Wood. Welcome to The Athletic Mindset. I'm your host, Corey Camp, former Division I swimmer, forever athlete, and personal performance coach. Today, I sit down with former Buffalo Bills Pro Bowl center, Eric Wood. He was a part of the Bills team that ended their playoff drought in 2017, and now he's a Bills radio analyst as well as an analyst for ESPN and ACC Networks. On top of all that, he hosts his own podcast show, What's Next with Eric Wood. So today we talk on how he leaned into fighting those next steps post-football, how he keeps faith even in dark times, and a whole lot more. So let's get into it. Eric, welcome to the Athletic Mindset Podcast. Excited to have you here, share your journey. Grew up watching you in the league a little bit as well, so it's always exciting to hear what's actually going on in the athlete's mind during what I'm just watching on Sundays. First off, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. And Corey, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah, man. Excited to dive into your journey. First and foremost, how'd you find football? Was that the first love of your life or were there other sports involved? Man, sports in general were a love of my life. Actually, I grew up in a Catholic system where for football, you had to be under a certain weight limit. I was way too big in first and second grade. In third grade, I was able to play and I loved it. Fourth grade, I was going to be too big. And it wasn't like a cut some weight like a wrestler too big. It was like the weight limit was 125 pounds. I was probably 145 pounds. So at that point, you're losing such a high percentage of your body weight to even try and play football. So when I wasn't playing football, I played soccer. I played basketball. I played baseball. I played golf. I bowled a while. I played volleyball. I literally would play anything and truly love to compete at anything and still do to this day. Yeah. When did you first find that like ultra competitive gear kind of kick in? Was it in high school? You know, my parents would say I've always been competitive based upon the amount of like video game controllers I would break or ping pong paddles I would break, which probably shows more signs of being a sore loser, maybe not just true competitiveness, but I was always a competitor took a lot of pride in trying to master my craft and really try and be great at something probably through high school when you when you see that hey if I if I lift some weights I can finally put on a little bit of muscle if I work on my free throws it shows up in the newspaper on a on a free throw percentage if I do well on the football field maybe that translates into a scholarship yeah it's so so funny because I think that's everyone's in the athlete world that's everyone's first endeavor of like this gratification of like, I can put in time and it makes sense. Like I'm rewarded with this. I was hearing an interesting story of you with this. Is it the practice Jersey in high school? You had to earn this hardest worker of the day kind of thing. And you took that to a whole nother level. You wanted to make sure that you were always the one in that was a yellow Jersey. Right. Yeah. So it, it was a, it was actually an orange Jersey, the university of Louisville basketball team. After I told this story to them, now they have a gold practice player of the day Jersey. And I, I love seeing it from their social media and whatnot. But so heading into my senior year, I had no offers in football. And so during the basketball season, I wanted to make sure that every time the college coaches would come around, I was wearing this orange practice player of the day jersey. So maybe if they showed up multiple times, they'd say, man, there must be something different about this guy because I was always bigger. But I switched positions between my junior and senior year in football. I went from tight end to tackle. And that was back when Rivals and Scout was just getting started. I, I kind of just fell through the recruiting rankings. I was at a really good school, so there was always 
coaches around. So I was being somewhat recruited, but I was the second tight end on a team. Like those guys don't get scholarships in high school. So I wanted to always be able to stand out on the basketball floor. And if you would ask my coaches, any of them prior to maybe my junior high school, was I the hardest worker? And they said, no, probably not. There's, there's guys that work harder. Well, I made it a point that I wanted to get that Jersey every single day. So we would vote on the practice player of the day after every single practice. And I was voted it every single day for the entire season. Well, over a three-month period, every day working so hard to get that jersey, it became uncomfortable for me not to work hard. And that truly was so transformative for me as an athlete because that next season in football, I became the hardest worker. It was uncomfortable for me to not run in between drills. And that literally transferred with me into college and through the NFL. I always prided myself on, look, I got to be the practice player of the day today. It's funny how it starts with something so simple as that. And I think those listening in, they hear like, maybe they get a little bit scared of like what hard work actually means. But I think you touched on it, like your capacity to take on more hard work expands over time. And to the point so much so where it's like, you're not you anymore when you're, when you're half-assing it. And you mentioned it off the air, like even as you're getting into golf now, like there's no halfway. It's like, I'm going all in, I'm getting the screeners, I'm getting the experts involved and we're making it happen. How did that serve you throughout your journey then into the league? You started, started and finished your whole career in Buffalo, which is pretty cool. But how did that, that part of your mindset serve you in the league? Yeah, I think anything that you can be, that you make a habit of, it's tough to break, whether that's good or bad. If you're lazy, it's tough to break that habit. If you're a hard worker, it's tough to break that habit. If you wake up and put on your pants with your right leg first, it's hard It's hard to break habits. And when you create positive habits like that, they'll stay with you. So for me, it was about stacking positive habits. And that became, you know, working hard on the practice field, which would translate to games, but it was also working hard on the preparation, knowing the playbook better than anyone else. And when you take pride in those things, and and to me, in sports, there's so much that you can't control. Mm -hmm. You know, you could be put in a bad lane in swimming, and and I wish I knew more about swimming. I've I've taken up some swimming now that I'm done playing football and trying to lose some weight in a non-impact way a lot of times. And so – there's, there's variables in swimming that you can't control, just like on a football field, on a basketball court, on a baseball field. But you need to control what you can control. And I think that, that I mean, that relates to life in general, but mm-hmm. control what you can control. So for me, it was all about putting maximum effort into all those things I could control. So then if it didn't work out for me that day on the practice field in, in the game, I could have peace knowing that I put it all into the preparation. Yeah, I think that's huge being so focused on the process and what's within your control, but also having the maturity to be like, you know, I gave it my all and it just wasn't meant to be like, I can't control the outcome. But if I keep focusing on that output, the outcome is going to be more likely to be what I desire. That's the tricky part about swimming. I think, you know, you're one of eight people in any given race and then you can only focus on yourself in the team sport of football, you're one of 11 people, you know, you can only control your block. How did you learn to like actually have that translate into game day and being like, okay, I took care of my position, but so-and-so next to me didn't. How did you like either get your teammates on board again for the next play or 
just not let it affect you and just be like, all right, next play mentality type bet? Man, that's such a great question. And it's like earlier in your football career, especially in the NFL, you're worried about getting paid. You know, you're putting your body on the line. Yes, you want team success. With team success comes individual accolades, comes getting rewarded financially, job security. That comes with wins. With new head coaches, when your coaches get fired, with new head coaches, comes a lot of turnover. I played for seven head coaches in nine years in Buffalo. Two were interims, but each staff was willing to keep me around. And that's where, okay, the team maybe isn't performing. I played in the longest playoff drought in professional sports at the time leading up to 2017. So when you look at it, each game, you're you're essentially an independent contractor, especially once you're eliminated from the playoffs that season. Every play can be chosen from any game, and they could say, look, that's who Eric Wood is. Watch him take this playoff. That's who he is as a player. So for, for me personally – you know, sometimes the score didn't matter and you could never let the score dictate your performance because you had to keep the same mindset every play because you had this standard of who you are, which isn't always easy to do. Later in your career, I truly cared about wins and losses. I mean, I remember crying after my first loss in the NFL, which was the first game I ever played in. We got beat on the last second at New England on Monday Night Football. They were the defending Super Bowl champions and we had them on the ropes. We had them beat. They did an onside kick down the field. We ended up fumbling it, and they got the ball. Of course, Tom Brady is going to make you pay in those situations. And a guy came up to me and said, buddy, you're going to win a lot of games in your career, and you're going to lose a whole lot more. You need to chill out. And I was like, well, I appreciate it. I'm so used to the college season. You lose one game, and the season's over. Now you're out of the BCS. You're out of the playoffs now, whatever it may be. And so I truly cared about wins and losses. But to answer your question – Later in my career, then it's about, okay, how many guys can I bring along with me throughout the week? You know, I, I was a captain starting my fifth year on. Okay, now how can I get other people to match my preparation? How can I get other people to match my play? And I'm not putting myself on a pedestal. I played with guys that were much better than me. So maybe I'm, I'm pointing defensive linemen to a Kyle Williams. Maybe I'm pointing a running back to a LaShawn McCoy, a Marshawn Lynch, and saying, hey, you need to get to that level to help our team because we need depth, whatever it may be. So you're trying to bring guys along with you, but also ultimately you got to be worried about your own play or else they're going to get rid of you. Mm. Yeah. I think that's so tough. Cause I mean, at the end of the day, it is a business, you know what I mean? And it's fascinating to really see the, your career. I mean, seven head coaches in nine years, that's a crazy amount of turnover. And for you to be one of the pillars that, stayed with that organization talk to me about how sweet it was making that playoffs in 2017 the first one in 17 years in buffalo it was unbelievable you know i'll never win a super bowl as a player but i can assure you it felt like winning a super bowl we beat the miami dolphins in week 17 down at their place there was there was 4 p.m games that all had afc playoff ramifications Mm -hmm. and we needed a few things to happen And the one that we ultimately needed was we needed the Bengals, who were eliminated from the playoffs, to beat the Ravens at Baltimore. And all Baltimore had to do was win, and they're in. So we finish the game. We play against – we're playing in the Dolphins in Miami. We go into the locker room, and I said, hey, flip that game on. I was watching the scoreboard. I know that they still have time left on that game. And so we flipped the game on, and as a team, we watch Andy Dalton throw a last-second touchdown to beat him. Our locker room erupts. One of the most joyful, fun moments of my entire life. 
on the flip side, I was actually at that Ravens game. I'm not a Ravens fan, thankfully. I'm a a Washington football fan, but I just happened to be at that game. And I was with some friends that were Ravens fans, and they were absolutely devastated. And it's so funny to hear the impact and the implications that game had on the other side. So super stoked for you that that actually came to fruition. What was that like then going to play into Jacksonville that next week and being representing Buffalo for the first time in the playoffs? It was incredible. There was about 35 to 40% of the stadium down in Jacksonville was Bills fans. Now, we had heard that on the front end. Jacksonville had the whole lower bowl. All the Bills fans had mainly the upper deck. So the noise disparity was great. You know, we didn't have quite the home field advantage that we thought we might in that playoff game. But for me, heading into that playoff game, my son was about to be born. And, and I hate saying this because I, I would have done anything to win that game, but it was almost a win-win because if the Bills won, we were advancing in the playoffs. If we lost, I was going to get to see the birth of my son, and we ultimately lose, and I was able to make it home to see him born. Yeah, fortunately, the Bills Mafia, one, travels well, and they support you guys wherever you're playing. And two, yeah, the silver lining there, you really couldn't lose in that situation. Talk to me what transpired after that game, though, because, I mean, I know the son was born, but there was a lot of other stuff that happened in between. What was that part of your journey like? Yeah, so I'll give a little bit of backstory on it. Heading into the 2017 season, that was my last year of my second contract in Buffalo. Mm-hmm. And I had considered hitting free agency. We had a new head coach in Sean McDermott, a new GM in Brandon Bean, Our owners had been there for a few years, and I loved the Pagulas, but I thought maybe for the first time I'm going to test free agency. I don't know. This is a first-time head coach in Sean McDermott. I don't know what he's all about. A first-time GM. You know, I'm just not quite sure of these guys. Well, through the spring, these guys made such an impression on me that I said, you know what, I want to stay in Buffalo. If Buffalo goes on to make the playoffs, make a Super Bowl run, and I'm not there for it, it's going to eat me up. So we started a contract negotiation, and I ended up being the first guy that Brandon Bean gave a contract extension to in Buffalo, who's now still currently the GM and won all types of executive of the year honors this year. But So I signed a contract extension before the season. I was the only player on the team to play 100% of the snaps that year, which is pretty rare in the NFL. I'm not trying to, again, to my own horn, but you can lose a shoe and miss a play. You can be blowing a team out and they could take you out. You could be getting blown out and they could take you out. I was the only player to play every single snap of that entire season on our team, including the playoff game. So heading out of the season, we all get an exit physical. So I went in to see our doctor. I said, obviously, I'm fine. I was the only player to play all the snaps this year. Clear me for the pro bowl and hit road. I'm going to see the birth of my son. And he was like, look, Eric, we need you to get an MRI on your neck. You got a bunch of stingers this year and we want to look at it. I said, my high school buddies get stingers like they're fine. I don't, I don't need an MRI on my neck. So reluctantly I get this MRI on my neck. I drive back to Louisville. We had a couple conversations between then and two days later, the birth of my son, you know, Hey, I'm going to get a few more opinions. I want to, I want to make sure what I'm seeing is correct. You know, and I'm thinking, is it surgery? And he's like, I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I'll, I'll give you a call. So he basically calls me. I'm sitting in the delivery room waiting on the birth of my son and it's just me and my wife in there. I get the call. My wife looks at me. She said she knew what call we were expecting. She said, just take it. It's fine. 
So I took it. And in that moment, over that about three minute conversation, I find out that my career is over at C2, C3, a disc and bone sitting into my spinal cord, which is paraplegia from the neck down and loss of respiratory function with any damage to the spinal cord at that point. And I had disc and bone sitting into the spinal cord. So in that moment, I have this joy of 50 minutes later, my son's going to be born. He's healthy. He's a beautiful little boy, our second kid, two healthy kids. But also my career is over. What I've worked so hard for, I go from being offered one scholarship to college to a first-round draft pick, play my whole career in Buffalo. So excited. We're, th- we're trying to figure out how we're going to bring a two-week-old to the Pro Bowl, and now my career is over. Like I, I just felt so cheated in that moment. But in the same sense, you get this joy of having a son. I mean, complete mix of emotions. I was about to say, I mean, you have both ends of the spectrum going there. And I mean, from a a listener perspective, I think it might have been the best thing for you in that moment to have the birth happen after. And like, all of a sudden it's like, okay, all of a sudden your problems mean nothing because you have, you've, you've built something with your wife and you have another life to care about there. Is that kind of what helped you start that processing of, okay, I'm no longer a football player. That's not who I am. Like I can start worrying about being a dad, reinventing myself off the field and all these other things. Yeah. I mean, in the moment, all I could think about was, no, I'm going to find a doctor that will clear me. This is all going to work out. And we had nine of the other top neuro guys in the country say, no, you know, even if you got surgery and you felt as well as you possibly could, you'll never be cleared to play. No team doctor will ever clear you. So you could fight this battle as long as you want. You'll never be cleared again. And so at that point, yes, you have the high of your son being born. And, and I have a foundation in my faith and I have an incredible family. I was looking to transition into media at some point. And so I have all this stuff, but ultimately like I wanted to keep playing football. I, I wanted to continue to be a football player. And you said it might've been the best thing that happened to you. And, and honestly, I mean, there were so many positives. We had just built a house in Louisville that was going to be our dream house. And we were just going to live there about 50% of the time back and forth to Buffalo. And now we have this house. We have our second kid enter the world. I had just signed a contract extension. And it's not all about the money, but I mean, I was the highest paid center in the NFL the next year sitting on my couch. I got out. I could still play golf, be healthy, run around with my kids. And, and, you know, maybe there's issues with my neck down the road. I haven't had to have surgery yet. I may down the road, but I would have played till the wheels fell off. Mm-hmm. So maybe this was God's way of saying, hey, before the head injuries mount, before the injuries mount, I mean, I had six lower body surgeries throughout my career, not all of them you know, during the season because of injury, cleaning up stuff after the season, whatever it may have been, like I would have just kept playing. I loved it so much. I loved the physicality, the competitiveness, everything about it that I would have kept playing. So probably a blessing long-term, but in the moment, it's tough to realize. And then I'll just fast forward. You know, you think, okay, God, you're going to do something incredible with me. Like, can't wait to see what you do. Well, Monday night football didn't call. Sunday night football didn't call. And so all that kind of angst, like, okay, like I cling on to these, like, for I know the plans you have for me to prosper me and Romans 8, 28, all good happens to those that are, that love God and called according to his purpose. Like, okay, what's the good? Like, I'm still waiting on this. And, and so I start this podcast called what's next with Eric Wood, basically to go on a journey to help me find out what's next for me and learn from people like yourself, growth minded, 
high performing individuals that can help me along my journey and what I've learned over the last two years doing that podcast. And then I did, you know, I started working for ESPN and the Buffalo Bills radio network. I've really enjoyed just, just truly learning and growing as a person these last few years. Yeah, I think, I mean, you just said so many beautiful things there. One, I'm, I'm hearing the athletic mindset at work in the sense of like, you get that initial diagnosis and you're like, we're fighting this. Like, this is my dream. We're going to make it happen. And I think that can be a kryptonite for a lot of athletes where we can be really hard headed and be like, we're not willing to accept things at face value and, and hear it. No, but you know, ultimately it works out. And I love how you brought up being a man of faith, whatever that higher powers that people believe in it's a, it's a balance, right? And you hit on it where you have to be okay with the the highs and the lows, just because you have faith doesn't mean that there's not going to be any lows in your life. And that's right. I think, something we all get blindsided by at some point when we get frustrated, when it's like we're sitting in these lows. And I really think for a lot of people, the past year has maybe been an extended low period. What did you really find helped you get through that mental low space? Was it clinging to the faith and really opening up and surrendering to this higher plan or were there other strategies in conjunction with that? Because knowing you, I'm sure that was part of it. Yeah. So it, it was a process and it, it wasn't quick. And, you know, based upon the contract, the bills couldn't even cut me for like five months. So I couldn't even go get a job because I couldn't even get a job in the media because then I would be retiring. So I had this limbo period where Look, I needed to focus on my health and I needed to lose some weight. I played at 310 pounds in the NFL. And for me, I had to work to keep on that weight. Well, now it's time to get it off because, you know, I wasn't naturally that big. So I had to work to get that weight off. So I lost about 60 pounds, which I've maintained over the last few years. But but for me, it's like when you hit that moment and so many people are in that moment right now because of COVID, whether it's from a loss of a loved one, whether it's a divorce, whether it's a marriage, whether it's uh, a transition with your business that you've built and for no other reason than COVID, now it's gone. Or your your job, your employer eliminates a position just because of COVID. That's completely out of your control. That's nothing you asked for. That's exactly where I was. And so you have this opportunity to pivot in your life and make a positive shift. And for me, when I say focus on your health, I think that's always a good thing. You know, mental health wise, working out, staying active has been proven to help with that. And then I think as you're moving forward, I think it's always healthy to establish your core values. So you know what you're all about. Like you, you can rely on those core values. Like when I transition to whatever I'm doing, this is what I'm all about. And then ultimately examine your gifts. Like what are you good at? Find something that's going to fulfill you based upon the, we all have different gifts. For some, it's communicating. Some people are encouragers. Some people are disciplined, hard workers. Some people are tall. Some people are strong. Whatever it is, find your gifts and find something that you can do with those gifts. But I ultimately think if you use your gifts to serve others, Mm. great things are going to happen. You're going to get connected with the right type of people, the right type of opportunities. And that comes from serving others. And that doesn't you know, the old traditional, when you, when I I grew up Catholic and serving others would be like going out and doing community service. Well, serving others can be doing a podcast with someone. It can be 
simply volunteering your time, talent, treasure to your church, whatever it may be, serve others and try to refresh others, uplift others, and just watch what that law of attraction brings back to you in return. Yeah, I would take it a step further and offer the advice of taking it to selfless service, being so pure in in that intention of how you're serving others, where it's not like I'm serving them in turn, hoping for this. It's just you're serving for the sake of serving and whatever happens, happens. And if you have faith in that higher power, again, whatever it may be, it's going to work out in your favor. No doubt. I want to talk on the actual physical side of things. Have you had any lasting implications of the the spinal injury, the neck injury in your day-to-day life now? And if so, what has that kind of impact had? No, I mean, honestly, they said the most dangerous thing for me would be like driving in the snow or something would happen where I wasn't expecting it. I like to wake surf and they said, that's fine to keep doing. You know, I can ski because you're anytime I would be bracing for impact, I'm going to protect myself. What makes football so dangerous is you're constantly taking shots that you're not prepared for. So I can still play basketball and and stay active. My favorite hobby now is probably golf, which would be extremely safe unless maybe someone gets mad with the golf club or something. I don't know. I don't even (laughs) want to joke about that right now, but I, I mean, we want to talk about physical stuff that may creep up throughout my career. My rookie year, I did the Joe Theismann leg break. My second year in the league, I did a high ankle sprain on the same one, got that ankle cleaned up after the year. My third year, I did ACL, PCL, lateral meniscus, fourth year MCL. And then in 2016, my second last year in the NFL, I broke my other leg on Monday night football. So a lot of surgeries, a lot of hardware in the legs. So for me on a day-to-day basis, like I ran a half marathon last year and I may do that again, but there, I have to be careful about that much wear and tear when I put it on my legs. And if I start eating or drinking bad, I have to be careful with that inflammation because I'm going to get a lot achier than maybe my buddies at age 34. I've broken or sprained every finger and I feel it in my fingers first. And I know if I and feel it in my fingers, it's probably going to creep up in my knees, ankles, or whatever it may be. So for me, overall, eating clean, anti-inflammatory foods, watching the drinking, make sure I get enough sleep, that is going to benefit me for long-term health success like anybody else. But when you've been dinged up as many times as I have, it creeps up a little bit quicker. Yeah, that I mean, especially with all of the injuries that you just rattled off there, the holistic health approach is really going to be what serves you best because it's not like you can go all in on weightlifting if you're neglecting the sleep, if you're neglecting the nutrition, the morning routine, the, the evening routine, all that stuff. What Speaking of routines, what are those kind of routines looking like for you now and how do you find ones that work for you now that you're not playing and you're have transitioned yeah over the past maybe 10 or so years i've always been a reader so i should say over the past 10 or 15 years i became a reader i would read spark notes in high school so that i wouldn't have to read books and now i read books for fun when i'm not required to maybe that says something about my personality but in the mornings well i'll start off how how i formed my routine i would take little nuggets off of podcasts out of books out of conversations with people that I wanted to be like, guys that became mentors. And a a mentor for you could be a guy who's podcast, someone like Corey who has a positive podcast that's going to pour into you each week. Like that could be a mentor without you even knowing someone nowadays. That's the beauty of technology. That's the beauty of books. And then it was guys in my life that I knew. And I'd say, hey, what do you do in the morning? Because in the NFL, your schedule was dictated for you every single day. 
in college, your schedule was dictated for you. Now in the NFL, I woke up a little bit early and I would maybe read from my Bible, daily devotional, but I'm talking further than that is when, when you get to the facility, it's not required that you rehab and work out and hit meetings and eat a healthy breakfast and all that. So for me, most of my days start with, I have this concoction that I'll drink in the morning and it's kind of nasty, but it, it, Mark Twain said, eat a live frog first thing in the morning and the rest of your day will seem a lot easier. This isn't quite the same, but I, I drink a combination of creatine, apple cider vinegar, cayenne pepper, turmeric, cinnamon, and lemon juice. And there's, you could look all of them up and figure out the, the health benefits, but a lot of them are for brain and gut health. And so I'll chug that down with 40 ounces of water, head to my office, do some type of reading. There's always going to be some faith-based reading in there. Uh, generally, I'm reading a book at that time, maybe hit 10 minutes of that, a little bit of a gratitude journal, and just something to get my mind right each and every morning. So look, if, if the day gets awry, you know, the Navy SEALs start off and the first thing they do every single day is make their bed so that if at the end of the day they come back and they didn't do anything, at least they accomplished one thing. A morning routine should make you feel a sense of accomplishment and it should get your, it should get your mind right. And, and something that you could put on autopilot every single day that hopefully starts you off in a healthy step in the right direction as well. Yeah. And I think those listening in have to, to catch it. There's no phone involved in there. I think right. that's a huge game changer. I mean, I always talk about being proactive into your day, and that's going to spill into how you're going to act throughout the day versus being reactive. Phone being one of those things that if that's the first thing you reach for, you're just now in reactive mode and everything is kind of happening to you rather than happening for you. So you have that choice every day. And I love how you are consciously making that choice to, to conquer each day. And if you do that, good things start to happen, right? Definitely. Yeah. Aubrey Marcus wrote a book called Own the Day. And that's an interesting concept about just own this day. Like we're not, at, I'm, I'm not encouraging you. I would love for you to, I would love to say myself, I could win the next year, but mm -hmm. let's just win today and let's stack good days. And then let's see what can happen. If, if you get 1% better every day, like naturally you would think, okay, I'd be 365% better at the end of the year, which would be about three and a half times better than you were at the beginning of the year. But the way compounding percentages work, you're actually 37 times. And, and for all the math majors out there, they can check my math. I, I've read that. So I, I I was not a math major. I was a political science major. So, But you're actually 37 times better at the end of the year. So just stack 1% daily improvements. And that's what you're filling your mind with, what you're filling your body with, mm. your relationships, your career, whatever it may be, stack those little 1% daily wins. Has your mind always focused on that? Because I think the downside of sport is it's always this bigger picture. Like you're always chasing playoffs in the NFL and Super Bowl, ultimately or Pro Bowl individually. Has it always been wired to think of like, I'm going to focus in on today? Or how have you gotten okay with letting go of like, those things are going to happen. I'm just going to trust because I'm showing up today. Man, that's such a good question. And I hope I'm going to answer it by saying this. So early in my career, I got I got injured my first four years in the NFL after being a first round draft pick. I had so much anxiety that, you know, am I a bust? We haven't made the playoffs. I haven't brought us through. The, I haven't broken this playoff drought yet. You know, I've been hurt every single season. Like, am I a bust? Am I going to get a second contract? How's this all going to work out? And I had so much anxiety with that that spilled into my sleep and, and other things. But 
I'll say this. I got, I got my second contract and that took a little bit of the pressure off to every single day, worry about winning or losing every single rep. And we moved into a house about a mile from the stadium. I could, if the stadium lights were on, we could see them from our backyard, the glow up in the clouds. That's how close we lived to the stadium. And in the morning, I, no matter what time of year it was, I'd be driving into the stadium before the sun would come up and the stadium lights would be on. And I would drive in. And like I said, I could see them pretty much pulling out of my driveway. And I would think to myself, how one morning I thought to myself, how lucky am I? I can get to go work for the Buffalo Bills and I'm an NFL football player. I didn't even start on my high school team as a junior. Like I've already won. I'm coming from a place of victory for all the Christians out there. will love that. You know, you're coming from a place of victory. Like go enjoy this day, have fun. Yes. You want to be the best you can be maximize this day. But I started turning the radio off and just simply going in silent every single day. And man, my mindset completely changed the way I play. And, and I started playing better. Like it wasn't like it, it hurt me. It wasn't a sense of contentment. Like I'm not going to strive to be better, but I came in with this sense of gratitude that I just even get to show up to work. And, and that completely changed my mindset. I love that. Cause you brought it up too, at the very last bit there, like there's this balance of being grateful for this present moment but not being satisfied. And I think we get those two confused. You can still not be satisfied with where you're at and be driven towards something more. And that sh motivates you to show up every day. But that doesn't mean that you have to sacrifice being grateful for where you're currently at. Yeah. I think we're all, we're all called to greatness, whatever that may be. You know, I, I've, you know, shoot, I've come to the conclusion now and, and it might be this like, and, and now we're doing a national broadcast that doesn't, this doesn't fit the narrative as well as uh, I'll probably say it. But if, if greatness for me is being a rock star dad and husband and impacting my wife and kids, that's fine. If God's got different plans for me, if he connects me with people like Corey and I get to go on a podcast, that's going to impact others. Like that's incredible. I, if my story can help someone in a time of transition right now, like that, that truly warms my heart. But greatness can look like so much, but I, I feel like we're all called to greatness. So whether it's being a dad and husband, whether it's being a great employee that affects those around them, I think we're all called to greatness, but you can still be content in your present moment knowing that, look, I'm, I'm further along than I was yesterday in my journey, and I'm, I'm way further than I was five years ago. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, that's all we can control, right, is how we're going to show up on a day-to-day -day basis. We can't control what happens down the road. Exactly. Awesome, man. I, I love your insights, Eric. I really do. And I want to touch on just your appreciation of what your body can do and where you're at with things. And I, I want to talk on your brother, for those that don't know, had cerebral palsy. And did that, what kind of impact did that have on your life, your mindset and your perspective on just everything in general? You know, as a kid, I was three years old when he was born and he was born with severe cerebral palsy. He never walked. He never talked. He never breathed on his own. So it was just that's how I knew Evan. And it wasn't any different to me. Now, I knew my buddies didn't have brothers like Evan, but that's just how it always was. And he passed when he was 11 and I was 14. And I remember getting to college and in high school, we didn't really complain that much about conditioning and whatnot. And I think a lot of it was because you're just young and you have a ton of energy. And a lot of times, Hey, if you went to basketball open gym, you don't have to do football conditioning. Like that was fun. It was fun to go run around and play. And I remember guys would just complain at will in college about having to run. I thought to myself one morning, like, 
Evan could never run. He couldn't even walk. Like, how am I going to sit here and complain about running? And I would take this mindset and just get ticked off and I would go smoke people in sprints. And that affected me. And that lives with me on a day-to-day basis to, you know, I, I obviously have a compassion for families with sick children. I have a foundation in Buffalo. I'm on a two foundation boards in Louisville that impact families with sick children. So that obviously from a compassion standpoint got me, but from a mindset standpoint, it affected me as well because it took away the woe is me attitude ever, you know, does it creep up? Sure. You know, we're all human, Mm -hmm. but I had that. I felt an advantage that came from my brother to not ever complain in those moments. Absolutely. And it's so cool to see the impact that you're making beyond the game. Even when you were playing, I was pretty fascinated to learn you were two-time Walter Payton Man of the Year recipient for the Bills. Talk to me about the foundations. What is the real focus there and how can those listening in help support? Yeah, so the Eric Wood Foundation became the Eric Wood Fund under Oshot Children's Hospital in Buffalo. The reason for that is I'm not living in Buffalo right now. And a lot of foundations have people that run them that get paid and that's all well and good. People deserve to be paid for their time. I had a unique opportunity with this hospital in Buffalo that was going to serve all chronically ill and disabled children in Buffalo. So we were serving them anyways. They had administration in, in place that would serve us for free. So we became fun to only serve their clientele, which were the only people we were serving. So it's now the Eric Wood Fund. Uh, Through my website, Eric Wood Media, there's a link to donate. You can go uh, to there. But honestly, it's been so rewarding over the years to meet families, be able to show a little bit of compassion towards them, be able to relate to them. And every situation is different. And I don't pretend to be in their shoes. Every situation is completely different. But if we can relieve the financial strain from a family, i A lot of times when you have a sick kid, it's going to wreck you financially. And a lot of times you did nothing wrong, Mm -hmm. similar to what people are experiencing COVID times right now. And so if we can alleviate some of the financial stress, look, we're not going to raise enough money to cure cancer, to cure uh, cerebral palsy, to find solutions to these. We're not going to raise that much money, but we can impact a lot of families on an individual basis and hopefully relieve some of their stress. Maybe we save a couple marriages and help them along their journey. It's absolutely a beautiful mission to have. And I'm sure a very rewarding purpose post-sport to help complement all the other things that you're doing. I want to end with my fast five questions, rapid fire, one word, one sentence answers from you to just have the people listening and get to know you a little bit better as well. Number one I got for you is what's your go-to podcast that no one's heard of and you can plug your own if you need to, but hopefully people have heard of it, right? Yeah. Hopefully people have heard of what's next with Eric Wood, man, the one I haven't heard of, you know, each week, if I'm not in town, I'll listen to Southeast Christians podcast. I'll listen to their sermon. Kyle Ottoman, their head preacher is a phenomenal communicator. If you're a Christian or not, give it a shot and just listen to Kyle speak Hopefully it impacts you, but that's one I listen to extremely regularly. I love it. I'm going to have to check it out. Favorite book in the past year is number two. In the past year, I'll go with Your Divine Fingerprint by Keith Craft. Nice. Another one I'll have to add to the list. Quote you live by. Proverbs 11.25, he who refreshes others will be refreshed and a generous person will prosper. Love it. Love it. 
one thing you can't live without. Man, I wish it wasn't the case, but I'll say my cell phone. <laughs> After all that earlier, we talked about, you know, no phone in the morning routine. <laughs> I know it. Uh, you're in media now. You, you got to have it. You got to stay I know connected. It. It's the challenge. Last one, your one word focus at this point in time. Serving. Beautiful. Beautiful. And I got to ask, what is next for Eric Wood? Where can people listening in tune in and keep up with everything? Yeah. So I just finished co- two-year contracts with ESPN and ACC Network, as well as for the Buffalo Bills doing their games on the radio. Hopefully what's next for me would be calling some type of football games. Maybe I'll be doing the exact same thing. I'm going to continue doing my podcast, What's Next with Eric Wood. It's been extremely rewarding doing those the last couple of years. And for me, just striving to be the best dad and husband I can be and trying to be a scratch golfer. I love that last goal there. That's beautiful stuff, Eric. I appreciate your time. I appreciate what you're doing in this world, what your purpose is and the way you show up and you serve others. So thank you. Good deal. I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you taking the time to listen today. Eric's got a wealth of knowledge and I love his outlook on life in general. I highly encourage giving his podcast to show a listen here as well. Share this episode with a friend, a family member, or a teammate who could benefit from Eric's story. I think we all go further together when we hear alternative perspectives to life. Remember, if you can change your mindset, you can change your life. One thought followed by one action at a time. I'll see you all on Monday.